0: We're getting ready to go into Bible school this next week and uh, all of you who have decorated and all of that, you've done a great job and I'm uh, excited about our teachers and other people that are going to be working with children and the children that are going to come because I know they're going to do a great job as well. So be praying for Bible school every week. Also um, our students are back from camp and they had a Mixed bag, I guess you could say. The uh, students did great, but the cabin had some problems and um, had, I think, six cars that were parked here at the church that had their catalytic converters cut out, stolen, and uh, that kind of thing. And um, the good thing about that is whenever the enemy uh, deems us worthy of attack, that usually means God is up to something, doesn't it? And so we're grateful for what God did in the lives of our students, had a couple of them trust the Lord, and you'll be hearing more about that. That's good news. We've also got some uh, sick people, people that are recovering and uh, from surgery, so uh, we certainly want to stop and pray for them and pray that God would bless our lives. So will you join me? Father, as I think about how life has its ups and downs, it has those times when it seems like the sun is shining, the wind is at our back, and then other times we don't see the sun, the wind is cold and contrary to us, (coughs) and life just gets hard. But we thank you that you are ever-constant and ever-sure in all of those things. And we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your blessings. And we want to thank you uh, as we go into Bible school this week for the kids that are going to be here, for all of the teachers and workers that are going to be here. And we thank you, Lord, for the fruit that's going to be born, both the seen and the unseen fruit. And we pray that, as Jesus said, there will be much fruit to the glory of God our Father. We want to thank you, Lord, for working at the student camp last week. We want to thank you for uh, the things that have been done that are still yet to unfold out of all of that. We praise you for that. And, uh, Lord, we also want to pray for our sick folks. We want to pray for those who are recovering And ask that your hand might be upon them and that you might heal them. And bless everybody that's here, everybody that's watching our service. May they feel your presence. May they understand your word and your truth. And may your spirit sanctify them for your glory and your glory alone. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you would uh, take your Bibles this morning And don't turn to Exodus. Turn to the book of Genesis. I was thinking about uh, Genesis 17, by the way. I was thinking about what to share this morning. And I don't know where you are and what you think about with Father's Day. But um, I had the, the privilege to have a dad that was a really good dad. He loved the Lord. He taught me the ways of the Lord. He lived a good exemplary life. But I also know that some of you didn't have that. I know that some of you agonize picking out a Father's Day card because while well, all it says in there doesn't actually fit your father, you want to say I love you, but you have a hard time saying I respect you. You have a hard time saying, I want to follow in your footsteps or just be like you. And so uh, my heart goes out to you. And I was thinking, what in the world (coughs) could I say on a day like today that would be meaningful? And then I thought about in Luke 16, there was the beggar, Lazarus, and then there was a rich man. And I remembered that the rich man, whenever he was making his appeal, he called the man he was appealing to, Father Abraham. And then I thought about the times when the Pharisees and others would talk to Jesus, and they would say, we have Abraham as our father. Then, as I began to reflect on Abraham's life, I thought, what a great, great man. What a hero of the faith. And that led me to think about these things in this passage. And then all of a sudden, my focus changed. Because in Genesis chapter 17, we find here that it's not so much about Abraham, but it's about God. It's not so much about what Abraham did. It's more about what God did and Abraham's response to that. And I thought, for those of us who are believers whether we had good earthly fathers or not, we all have a perfect heavenly father who is working in our lives, and he's the one that we ought to focus on. And so I call your attention to the Bible, the word of God, and Genesis 17, 15. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, But Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her, and I will also give you a son by her. And then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall come or be from her. (coughs) Excuse me. Then Abraham fell on his face, That sounds good so far, doesn't it? But then notice. And laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, no, no. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you will call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you, and behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly he shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation but my covenant I will establish with Isaac whom Sarah shall bear to you this set time next year then he finished talking with him and God went up from Abraham you know you read that story And you think about Abraham, and you think about what God was doing and what God was saying to Abraham. Abraham couldn't pull this off. Abraham, there's no way he could accomplish this. In fact, the very fact that Ishmael Ishmael exists is because Abraham and Sarah had decided if God's promised us offspring and all of these things then what in the world is going on? We've got to help God out. And you know, we always get in trouble, don't we, when we try to help God out. It shows a lack of faith. It shows that we really don't believe God and what God says. But God is reaffirming this here, and God is telling Abraham that in the midst of these changes and in the midst of what I'm doing, I'm going to give you a son, not by Hagar, not by anyone else, but by Sarah, your wife. I'm going to make the impossible be the possible. I'm going to do something that would only be attributable to me and to my glory. And that's the way God wants to live and wants to work in our lives. But will you notice that, first of all, that God worked through the family, God worked through the family. How many times did it say in here, was Sarah's name mentioned? Not anyone else. And then she was always referred to as your wife. Your wife. Your wife. We've got a problem in this country today, in our culture today. People don't think that marriage is important. People don't think that being committed together is important. In fact, how many TV shows have you seen where people go out on a date and then they agonize on whether we should have sex on the first or second date? How many times have you seen people that act like marriage is just not a big deal? They live together, they sleep together, all of those things. And then a pregnancy comes about and then they get serious and think well maybe we ought to consider marriage. Well, that's all backwards, according to the Word of God. God honors family, and God looks at family. God established the family, and God wants us to function as families. And when I think about that, it seems old fashioned, seems like something that doesn't really matter to anybody anymore. But uh, recently, There was a study done by the Brookings Institute. They've been around since about 1916, very well established. And they uh, are in Washington, D.C. And they said if you want your children to come out of poverty, three things need to happen. Number one, finish high school or more. Number two, Get a full-time job. And number three, don't have children until you get married. And uh, it's interesting that when they said this, they said, if a teenager or young adult will do this, there's a 92% chance that they will not be in poverty. Now, I know there's some exceptions to that, but think about How overwhelmingly favorable that is. 90% chance. And the key to all of that is doing things God's way. Doing things to where we respect the family, focus on the family, uphold the family, and live within those family priorities. And Abraham got the message, I think, Abraham heard from God. This is not something you can stray and you can have children through other people anytime, anywhere. No big deal. Through Sarah, Sarah your wife. Second thing that I noticed as I was reading through this is that God gives identity. You know, there are a lot of things in this world that are telling us who we are and what we are, some positive, some negative. Some will build you up and appeal to your pride, and some will um, tear you down, stick with you forever. But you got to get your identity from the Word of God. And God had told Abraham, no longer are you going to be Abram, exalted father or father of many, but now your name's going to change, and Abraham must have had a sigh of relief. But it actually got worse. Abraham was told, now your name, Abram, was told, now your name is Abraham, father of nations. And your wife is going to be called the princess, Sarah. And this is going to be something that uh, you're going to live with and something that I'm going to perform Something that I'm going to do. I'm going to have to sit down. See if we can finish this up. Thank you. Sorry about that. And as I think about the identity that Abraham had, it wasn't an identity that he chose for himself. It wasn't an identity that a human gave him. Sarah didn't give it to him. No one else did. Abraham got it, and it was an identity of faith. And I want you to think about all the things that God says about you in the Scripture. I want you to think about the things that you haven't attained yet. I want you to think about all of the promises, the calling, the gifting that God has given you that you really have not seen all of that work out in your life. It's still in the future because it's a faith proposition. This is what God says. This is a way that you are supposed to see yourself, identify yourself, and live and act Accordingly. And notice here that Abraham never really set out on his own that he would be the father of a nation, the father of kings, or anything like that. All he wanted was a child, just one child. And that's what he got. And God says, even though there's basically going to be under this covenant, you and Sarah. And Isaac, you still are going to be a patriarch of a great nation and nations, right? That your descendants are going to outnumber the stars of the sky or the sands of the sea. And when Abraham looked at that, he goes, that's a little difficult to believe. Maybe with us, we're so old now, 190. Uh, He was 100, Sarah was 90. How in the world is that ever going to happen with people like us? And those two words that we need to always remember, we've got our situation, like in Ephesians 2, we're dead in trespasses and sins. But two words change everything, but God. And in your life and in my life, there are these situations that God puts us in. You know, whoever said God will never put you through more than you're able to bear doesn't know what they're talking about. God puts us in a situation where we go, I can't, but God, and everything changes. God can. And you think about this, when you look and see how God has made you, what opportunities he's given you, what spiritual gifts he's put within you, what talents he's put in your life, And then you have these things where you uh, have uh, different feelings and uh, passions about certain things. And you look and you say, well, God, I could never do that. I could never do that. Always remember the two words, but God changes everything. Abraham could no more pull this off than the man in the moon. But I want you to think about what all God did through this man that we still talk about and that we still see today. Let your identity be what God says. Look in the Word of God and see what God has said about you and receive that and stand in that. And I don't care what your dad said. I don't care what your mom said or your teacher said. I don't care what your neighbors say. I don't care what your best friend said. Nothing really matters Accept what God says. And if God says it, then accept it because it is true. And number three, now this is tricky. God sees our heart motive. You know, there are some things that happened here with Abraham, and the same thing happened with Sarah. Do you remember when the angels came? (coughs) Pardon me. And they said, you're going to have a son? And Sarah laughed. And we sort of dog Sarah for that. She didn't have any faith. She didn't really believe God. Well, did you read our text? Abraham fell on his face. Well, that's a good thing. That's the proper outward response. Like us, Abraham knew what he was supposed to do, and he did it. But there was something else going on in his heart. He was laughing, and he was questioning. You know, I thought... That's a lot like some people, I hope not you, but some people in church. Sometimes there are things said and things done that make people kind of laugh, snicker. Sometimes in their heart they go, this is foolish, this is weird, this is ridiculous. There's nothing like that. But on the outside, you would never know. If you were watching Abraham that day, you would be like I am when I read this text, What was he really doing? And I'm just going to say, I don't know. I don't know. Not a mind reader. Have no idea what was going on. Some commentators I read, they say that when Abraham did this, he was laughing out of unbelief. This is an incredulous thing. This is something beyond the realm of possibility. And then he questions in his heart, shall I man... Father, a child at a hundred? And shall my wife uh, conceive a child at the age of 90? Preposterous, he might have been saying. But oh no, some other commentators say, Abraham was overjoyed by all of this. And his laughter was a laughter saying, I can't believe this. And even the questions were kind of like if somebody from Publishers Clearinghouse showed up at your door, and they said, you've just won $6,000 a week for the rest of your life. And you go, what? This is crazy. Who are you really? How in the world does this happen? Come on, you're, you're pulling my leg. And they said, that's all Abraham was doing. You say, what's the answer, preacher? I have no idea. The text doesn't really clue us in like it, Uh, Like I would want it to. And that leads me to this point. God knows. God knows. And God knows your sincerity. God knows your questions. God knows your commitment. God knows everything you're holding back from him. God knows where you are with him. Acting like a Christian. But lost as you can be. God knows where you are a saved person that's not filled with the Holy Spirit, not totally committed to Christ and His Word. God knows where you are, smiling and sitting and standing and praying and all of those things in church, but He knows the dryness in your soul. He knows how distant you really are. God knows and God sees. And so I'm content to leave these verses and say, That our Heavenly Father who is all-knowing, that maybe we can't quite discern, we can have opinions, that's okay, but none of us know the fact of what Abraham was really thinking and feeling during this situation. But that's okay. You know why? Because if I know it, it matters very little. If I know your heart, it matters very little because I can't do anything to change it. And the same thing is true with you. Sometimes it just satisfies our carnality, our curiosity. But the truth of the matter is, God knows. And God knows also how to change your heart. If you'll submit your heart to God, you'll give God your motives. You'll give God everything you've got. He'll make sure that it gets right. You can trust Him because he is your loving father who is more interested in you doing well than even you are. So that's number three. Number four. When we think about Abraham and this whole situation, we wonder about this next verse. There was a kid named Ishmael, and Ishmael was here through no fault of his own. But when Abraham and Sarah were thinking about this whole situation and what God had promised and how she was past the years of childbearing, they came up with a plan, a scheme. God can't do this, and we don't want God to look bad, so let's figure out what we can do to help God out. Poor God. And so Sarah says... You know, I've got this Egyptian handmaid, Hagar. You know, Abraham, maybe she could be like a surrogate mother to this child of promise. Now, to us and to our sensibilities, can't imagine a woman doing that. But in these days, this is before the law was written. Genesis is not going to be written down by Moses for a long time, hundreds of years after this. Maybe they looked and they said, well, God didn't say we can't. So they decided to try. That seemed like a good deal right at first, didn't it? You know how it is. We have these thoughts, these ideas. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, that won't bother me. I've had times when I've counseled people or talked to people. And I said, "Have you?" they talk about a situation in life and what they're going to do. And I say, have you considered this or this or this? Oh, yeah, that's not going to be a problem. Then they do it, and it turns out to be a problem. It kind of bounces back. It hits you in the face. And I'm sure when Sarah first suggested this, she's thinking about what it means. Her husband sleeping with another woman. And she's thinking, yeah, but I can handle that. Not going to be a big deal. Well, Sarah, have you thought about how this is going to be? Yeah, I've thought about it, but don't worry. I've got this. I can handle it. And you remember the story. Hagar has a son, and the son is born, and the son, Abraham's son, is named Ishmael. But he's not the one that God provided. He's not the son of the covenant. And all of a sudden, this whole thing turns into trouble. Sarah feels that Hagar is making fun of her because she had a child and Sarah couldn't. She's got Abraham's child and Sarah doesn't. And then there's also trouble later on that that comes up. This is not a happy (coughs) or a pretty situation in any way, shape, or form. But Abraham loves Ishmael. I mean, let's not get the idea that just because this child came about in an illegitimate way, and this child is not the child that God intends to use, make no mistake, he is still Abraham's child. Abraham loves him. And in the midst of all of this, his father's heart cries out to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God, what have you got from my boy? What are you going to do for him? Is there no blessing for this child that I love? And I'll just say this. God tends to bless fathers who pray for their children. And yet I know a lot of fathers that that's the furthest thing from their mind. We'll leave that to grandma. We'll leave that to mom. Oh, they take care of all of that kind of stuff. And they don't really pray. They don't really get fervent about praying for their children, for their offspring. Sometimes when a child strays even as an adult it's the dad who gives up first you're dead to me you're no longer my child and they quit praying they quit being optimistic and faith-filled they quit trusting God moms don't tend to do that they carry a burden on and on and on and on and on but dads aren't always like that and I want to encourage you men I want to encourage you fathers Pray for your children. Pray for your children. Say, well, they're not interested in anything. Doesn't matter. They may have shut you out of their life. They may not want to talk to you. They may not hear anything you say. Whenever you bring up something that would help them, they hang up, either mentally or physically. They check out. But there's one thing they can't stop, men. The Bible says the effectual, fervent, Prayer of a righteous man availeth much. When God's men start praying, there's power in all of that. You have what one man called father power. And there's something in that that the enemy has to respect. There's something in that that impacts people more than you will ever, ever know. I want to encourage you pray for your kids. The Bible says that Job, that perfect and upright man, got up every morning and offered sacrifices on behalf of his children because he said the night before, maybe they sinned. Well, you got to admire that. It's a man who went to bat. That's a man who called out to heaven on behalf of his children. And he did it not just in a casual, <coughs> bless him way, He did it in a fervent, disciplined, everyday-type thing, even costly when you think about offering the sacrifices. So pray for your kids. God will bless you if you will do that for the saved as well as the lost. And then the last thing that I noticed is God gives the gift of legacy. In all of these other verses... Uh, 19 and following, all of these things are promises. I'm going to give Isaac, I'm going to bless Isaac and establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. And then he gives some promises for Ishmael. And so this man that he and his wife have had trouble conceiving and bearing a child, According to God, this man is going to be influential for generation after generation after generation after generation. This is really amazing, and it is pretty astounding when you think about all of this. This had to be the Lord. When um, I think about this, I think about and encourage dad's When you are looking at your children, don't just look and say, I'm raising a baby, I'm raising a son, or I'm raising a daughter, or I'm raising a toddler, or I'm raising a teenager. Not really. You're raising a mom, you're raising a dad, you're raising future parents, you're raising a pastor, an elder, a deacon, you're raising a pastor's wife, a deacon's wife, a Sunday school teacher. Say, how do you know that? I don't. But you don't either. You may be having in your household right now that little toddler that's giving you fits, maybe the next Spurgeon or MacArthur. They might be the next Billy Graham. They might, who knows who they might be. And you've got a responsibility to look at that and to look long term into their future. Whenever you're disciplining them, don't just vent. But cool off and think, what do I need to do and what is best for this child's future? You recognize your children, that they are a gift from a sovereign God. He didn't have to give them to you. He could have given them to someone else. But you're the parent. And nobody can raise that child. Nobody can teach that child. Nobody can pass on morals and values And faith like you can. And when you think about all of these things, think about the future. How will this make my son into the man God wants him to be? How will this make my daughter into the woman God wants her to be? How will this pass on to them how to love and how to discipline, how to care for a child? Because they're going to be raising my grandchildren one day. All of this is so important, and the Hebrews had an eye on all of that. Legacy, descendants, their honor, their faith, all of that was so important to them. And we're such short-term thinkers. We just can't wait to get them out of diapers. We can't wait till they're on their own. We can't wait until they're 18 as if our job finishes whenever our child Reaches the age of majority. It's not the way it works. This is something that we need to invest in them. Because we're going to be, in a sense, turning the keys over to them one of these days. And they've got to be ready. And it's our job to make sure that we equip them. Sammy and I, years ago, went to Shoguns. Ever been there? (coughs) We went to the one in Tulsa, and it was just the two of us. And uh, if you go to Shoguns, you know, they put on the show with the Japanese chef and all of that. It's really cool, and the food's good, too. But they don't like to do it for just two people. So if here's a group of six, they put two with six. Now they're doing it for eight. So they put us with these people, these strangers... And uh, we introduced ourselves and they introduced themselves. They were very nice. But, you know, as it were, we got seated and we're waiting for the chef to come out. And uh, Sammy and I are talking and all of these people are talking. It was obvious they knew each other. They might have been family. I don't know. But then my ears perked up as they were talking. And it became very clear to me. That Sammy and I were sitting in the presence of Hittites. No. We were sitting in the presence of Jebusites. Perizzites. No. Those people were very prominent back in Abraham's day. But they're gone now. Nobody takes an ancestry DNA and says, Wow, I'm one quarter Hittite doesn't happen. They're gone. We were sitting in the presence of Abraham's offspring. Those people had Abraham's DNA in their body. The Jews and Israel, they're still around because of the promises that God has given them. It's an amazing thing. Just like just like God promised, here they are, and here they were. Legacy. I was once asked to do, I've uh, been had, had this asked several times, but uh, this was when I was out in Tuttle, <coughs> and somebody asked me to do a funeral. Funeral for a man I didn't know. A man who had died rather suddenly. And so I thought, well, this is a chance to meet some people, minister to them, and it's also a chance to share the gospel so, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. And I went to this uh, mobile home and knocked on the door, and the guy uh, came to the door, and it was one of those things where smoke kind of came billowing out. and um, You know, it was kind of a rough situation. And uh, he said, yeah? And I said, hey, I'm Greg. I'm the pastor at First Baptist in Tuttle. And uh, I wanted to come by and visit with you a little bit. I'm so sorry that uh, your father has passed away, and I'm here to help. And he didn't even invite me in or anything. He goes in and, anybody call a preacher? And uh, somebody said, yeah. And so he says, come in. And I came in, and it's kind of dark and a lot of smoke, and the people are all around there. Uh, Family and some friends that were there. A little bit crowded. And not a single person got up. Nobody shook my hand. Nobody said anything like that. They kept staring at the TV. That's awkward. My mama always taught me when somebody comes in, turn the TV off. And uh, they didn't. They were watching a game or something. And so um, I said something to get the meeting we needed to have going. And uh, so we went over to the table and we sat down there was me and two or three of the family members they were the children of this guy and there were two boys there I remember that I think there might have been a daughter (coughs) don't quote me on that but as we were talking I found out a little bit about the man as you generally do I was making notes I liked to grow things he liked to fish he liked to hunt that kind of stuff and there was one son that every time somebody would say, you know, something about their dad, he would uh, just had a funny look on his face. And then I asked the question, well, uh, did your dad ever say anything about trusting the Lord, being baptized, or being a member of a church, or anything like that? And this one son turned his face away and laughed then turns his face back. And they said, no, we don't know of anything like that. Boy, this preacher's heart always sinks when that happens. I said, well, do you know of a favorite Bible verse, a scripture that he might have had? And the one guy started laughing so hard, he turned his face, covered his mouth, he had to get up and walk away. You know what that said to me? Apparently, this man didn't have much of a spiritual legacy at all. I uh, am thinking about that back in my office, and I meant to bring them, I've got Bibles. I've got a Bible that was Dixie Walker's Bible. It's so marked up, no doubt. Now, I couldn't find a favorite verse because it looks like she liked all of them. got a Bible where um, Carl Kerrigan's family wanted me to have something from him and they sent me his Bible can open it up and see his handwriting and his notes it's taped up sounds like Brother Carl doesn't it I don't need a new Bible this one works fine and uh, all of that I've got Papa Sam's Bible Got notes in there from that. And then I've got my dad's Bible. And my dad took the time in his Bible to write things I didn't really know or couldn't recall when he was saved, when he was baptized, when he went to Korea, all of those kind of things. And there's like in the fly leaf of that Bible, A little biography. I thought about his hopes. I thought about his dreams. I thought about his hopes and dreams. For me. And for my brother Jeff. I thought about what he wanted for his grandchildren. And how he prayed for all of us. And how he must have prayed. I thought about how it must have been. As he took that Bible. And as he read it. And he would stop. And there came a time in his life when he stopped thinking and praying so much about himself. But he prayed for us who were going to carry on his name and carry on his legacy. When we were writing out his obituary, we, uh, my brother and I were thinking about this. And I said, you know, it's uh, interesting that... Uh, You sort of followed in his military footsteps. He's an Iraq veteran. And I followed in his ministry footsteps as a pastor. And my brother came up with this. He said, I guess we both did it, but it took two of us to do what one man did. It's called legacy. We follow in his footsteps. And we walk in the ways of the Lord. Because everything that we see in this passage about Abraham, but little family secret, it's not really about Abraham, is it? And on this Father's Day, as we honor you men and challenge you men to be like Abraham was, here's the little secret, it's not really about Abraham it's about god god working in your life god being the one that initiates all of this as he always does but also knowing that the god who initiates the god who starts the scripture says he who hath begun a good work in you shall complete it hallelujah under the day Of Christ Jesus. Faithful is he who called you. Who also will do it. Because our God is strong. Our God is powerful. After all. He's the almighty God. And it's as he works through you. Through your life. Through your legacy. Through your prayers. He is able to do. Exceedingly. Abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, that Christ may receive glory in his church throughout all generations. Would you like, do you have a dream that maybe whenever Jesus comes, even if it's 500 years from now, somebody of your descendants will be serving God? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, here's where we find it. And the only way that happens is a work of God. So, we're going to close. All of you who are dads, will you stand up, please? All the dads, stand up. And let all the rest of us say we love you, and we appreciate you, and we thank you. For who you are. It's not just about what you do. As important as that is. It's about who you are. And we honor you. And we praise you for that. Now we would like to pray for you. And I'd like the church to stand. And if you've got one of these guys near you. Just kind of gather up around them. And first of all, if they're in your family, tell them thank you. That you love them. That you support them and you're behind them. They're not perfect. And they don't claim to be. But God. But God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as I think about this and I think about Abraham, and the way you guided me, thank you for that, to this passage, and then you showed me it's not really about Abraham. And you reminded me about myself. I'm very blessed to be the father of three children. I'm grateful for who my children married, I'm grateful for the lives my children live. I'm grateful for all of that. But I had very little to do with it. It was you and your mighty power working through me and working in them. Now, Lord, as I think about these men, if we were to give them the assignment of being great men of God, every one of them would fail, self-included. But the assignment is to be yielded to you. The assignment is to be a living sacrifice to you. The assignment is to believe you and trust you in every situation. The assignment is to claim the promises of God. And so, Lord, we know that as we do that, when we are faithless, you remain faithful, for you cannot deny yourself. Thank you for that word. Out of the Scripture, and thank you, Father, that you are a faithful God. Even if our kids are not faithful, you are faithful to us. Even if our spouse is not faithful, you are faithful to us. Even when we stumble and fall in ways that we never could imagine, thank you, Lord, that you are faithful. First, Psalm one nine: If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins. Thank you for that, Lord. So these men that we love and that we admire, may your grace, your power, your strength, use them for the rest of their days as an influence for God, as a witness for Christ, as a testimony of grace, as a testimony of the power of God. And wherever any of these men look and say it's too late, remind them, but God. Whenever any of them look and say, my children are too far gone, but God. Whenever they look and they say, my marriage fell apart, I can't repair it, but God. Let them think about it. It's not really about us. It's all about you. Thank you for that. You are worthy and it's in Jesus name that we pray and all God's people said amen, amen. god bless you thank